0: And that's the announcements for today. We are back in the Gospel of Luke. For those of you who are here today for the first time or visiting, we began this Gospel on uh, December 4th, I believe, was the date, the first uh, Advent Sunday of uh, December. It was perfect because every year we do an Advent series, where we, Advent meaning the coming, the coming of Jesus, where we celebrate and look at. The coming of Christ as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem 2017 years ago. The gospel of Luke is set up in a perfect way so that we actually timed it. Each message led to, on December 24th, the birth of Jesus in chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, which was the last message we did in this series. I'll just give a quick little preface, and that is this. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you're a skeptic, you're still thinking about it, right? This is the perfect gospel for you. That's why the, the, the title that we're given to it, Subline is that you may have certainty, because Luke was a pagan, Greek, Gentile, non-Jewish person who came to faith in Christ through the ministry of the apostles after Jesus had died, was buried, risen, and ascended, And it's an amazing story, really, in this gospel of how Luke, it's kind of telling us, although he's writing to a dear friend whose name is Theophilus, it really tells us, in fact, what prompted in Luke's heart and his spirit to place his faith in Jesus Christ. He needed questions answered. He needed facts. And that's exactly what he did. The first four verses of the gospel tell us that he 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 read everything that he could read. He, re- he read Mark's Gospel that had already been written. He read other writings by the apostles. He talked to eyewitnesses, including Mary and the Apostles. He heard the apostles preaching. And he, after getting all the facts, believed. He believed. He came to faith in Christ. And so today we're at the point where we're, we're beginning in chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can open to chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 21. If you don't have a Bible, we have some up front here. love you to borrow one or take one home with you if you wanted so that you can follow along. I will be putting the verses later mostly on screen, but I want to encourage you to be with us in this word. So we're following on exactly eight days after Jesus is born is where we pick up the story. And uh, continue. So let me read the full text today, and then we'll pray one more time, and then we'll dive in. Beginning in verse 21 of chapter 2, we read this, written by Luke, and at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will piece through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was also a prophetess, Anna, Anna the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then was a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, would you? Father, once again, we thank You for this chance to be here. Father, we thank You for this text, this, these stories that happened eight days after Jesus was born. Father, Holy Spirit, I just pray today that You would help me, You would help us to understand this. Father, I pray that You would use this text, You would use the words that You've given to me, as uh, imperfect as they are, to be able to bring us deeper into this story, to help us see Your heart, and your will, and your wisdom in this. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Now, as much that could be said about this passage, obviously, if you've been listening, and I'm sure you were, uh, there, there, it goes from here to here to here. There's these things that seem at first to be kind of detached, or but it's happening on the same day. It's the same event, same timing. And there's a lot we can... So I, I, I tried to narrow it down to try to look at this in a, in a concise way that so maybe we can really understand what's going on. Because it's, it's, we could spend actually weeks in this. We really could. So the sermon title, message title that I've come up with is Be Faithful. Be Faithful. And I'm hoping we'll see three things in this text today. Number one, faithful families keep traditions. And number two, faithful witnesses produce certainty. And number three the faithful one who is with you and with me. So, as we dive into this text, first of all, I want to give all of you who were here last week and last Sunday, uh, and received one of these, one of these life journals that we gave out last week, and if you were here or weren't here, I should say, you may want to listen to the podcast because I explained why this is such an important thing. We're basically inviting people in our church to join us in the reading through of the whole Bible over a period of two years, and so there's a guide in the back of this book, um, what to read each day. Uh, we started off uh, um, on January 1st with uh, the go- G- Genesis chapter 1, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, and Psalm chapter 1. It takes about 11 minutes to read. <laughs> it, it's, I know it's a commitment, but it takes about 11 minutes to read. The whole point is we really want you to go through the Word of God on your own, or with your husband, or with your wife, or with a friend because that's how you learn about who God is. You can come here for 45 minutes on a Sunday and hear me talk and, and, and hear the Word of God opened up. That's good, but you, you and I, we need a lot more. And so, what, I want to give you a little bit of a clue to help you with this, <laughs> because the, the, the general thing that happens almost every year is people start off, you know, like, it's a New Year's resolution, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible. Yeah, it's great. It's awesome. And we dive in, and, you know, we get to the end of February, and we get behind, and it's like, huh, but there's another thing that happens. The other thing that happens is that um, we, we read texts like today's text or, or other texts in Genesis or wherever it's going to be, and we're like, I, I don't know what's going on here. I don't, I, I don't quite get this. So I want to encourage you. Here's a clue. I want to encourage you this morning, a, a clue to this. Ask questions. Stop. It's okay to stop at that point and ask yourself, what's going on? And, and the good thing about that is, is you, can, you could actually email somebody or text somebody or, or at missional community group, you could bring it up. I had someone this past week email me, text me actually, and say, what's going on here? I read this and, and one translation, but I read something else in the other translation. Which is it? And I was like, at first, I was like, wow, I didn't even know that that existed. Like, and so I read about it, and it was awesome. It was good to get clarity on that. It's important. It's important to ask this question, especially today when we look at this text why did this author, why does God include this text here? That's a good question to ask. Always ask, why is it there? What is this particular text doing in the Bible? Now, some of you might go, well, Glenn, it's that's God's Word. It's in the Bible. It's... But we need to ask those questions. I think it'll be very helpful. You see, with Luke and this text today, this is the most important question. I, I did a little bit of research, actually, and I Googled around and checked around, because I, I don't remember often going to a church where somebody preached on this text. And lo and behold, I found when I was Googling around and looking at it, very, 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 very few people, preachers, preach this text. Guys that go through books of the Bible regularly like we do here at The Rock, inevitably they have to, but what you'll find is most of the sermons are, you know, it's very theological, you know, the law of Moses, you know, kind of, it's very academic. Let's just get through it and get the basics and understand, you know, what it all means and, and then move on. And so that, that's, that's interesting. So here's the question I think we're really needing to ask this morning. Why does Luke, of all people, record this text? I mean, why this guy? You see, when we ask questions like that, you're going to have to do a little bit of digging. And if you do, here's what you're going to find. Luke is the only one who records this event. You all know the most popular event that is recorded in the other Gospels, Matthew, uh, that happens directly after Jesus is born, right? I mean, there's the shepherds that showed up. We already read, read about that. But there's another one that's you know, like, like major, right? And it's the one that's highlighted, usually on Christmas, right? And it actually happens, though, eight days later. It doesn't happen on the, the night that he's born, and it's the story of, of who? Apparently, there's three of them, right? But, but actually, the text doesn't tell us there's three. The wise men, right? So, so the question has to be, uh, why would Luke skip that one? Because in many of the Gospels, they record the same stories, just from a slightly different perspective. But Luke says, no, I'm, I'm going I'm to skip that one. So again, I'm going to go deeper on the question. Why would a previously pagan Greek Gentile skeptic who comes to faith in a Jewish man as the Messiah and Savior of the world, why would he choose a story or a series of stories that includes the faithful keeping of Jewish Mosaic laws and the stories of two old people, a faithful man and a faithful woman, who are also very Jew- Jewish? Why would he record this story? You curious? <laughs> I was hoping to build that in you, to build a bit of curiosity, right? Well, let's find out. I hope that we're going to find that out this morning. Number one, faithful people keep traditions. Verse 21 again says this, and at the end of eight days, he was circumcised. When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So, so the first sign of faithfulness that we see from Mary and Joseph. It is pretty clear. Both of them, as you'll remember from the first chapter, had a visitation by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel told both of them on different occasions where they were not together, You will name him Jesus. Now, now the tradition was that he would be named after his father. Now, we also know Joseph is not his earthly father. Joseph becomes a stepfather because Mary is impregnated. She conceives through the power of the Holy Spirit, but Joseph is the father, he becomes his father. And so they are faithful. They name him Jesus. And since Jesus was born, as he had to be based on all of the prophecies, hundreds of them in the Old Testament, pointing forward to the Messiah, the Savior of the world who would come, he had to be born into a Jewish family. In fact, every little detail about being born in Bethlehem, being born poor, and, and, and all had to be fulfilled in order for him to literally be the Messiah. And of course, then he had to be bear, bo- born under the law of Moses under the law of Moses. So, in those days, circumcision was a requirement of all of Abraham's descendants as a sign of the covenant that God made with them. But hear this. This is important. God made that covenant with them, and He's like, this is what you need to do with every firstborn male, with all of your males, for that matter, is you need to circumcise them as a, as a covenant with me. Now, God made a covenant with them that He would make them His people, and He would protect them, and He would free them from the bondage of the Egyptians, and on and on it goes. But the point for the people was the sign of actually following through with that, being faithful to what God asked them to do, was that they were signing on the bottom line too. They were saying, we're in on this covenant. We're showing our covenant faithfulness, tradition-keeping with our God. That's why they did it. It wasn't like, oh, you know, God, He wants these things done, you know? Well, maybe some people. but it was out of love for God that they did this. Then we read this, and when the time came for their purification, there get this, plural there, purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So, It's interesting here. We actually see Luke combining two traditions, two ceremonial law keeping traditions from the Old Testament. First, under Mosaic law, a woman was considered unclean, unclean spiritually, for 40 days after the birth of a son. It was actually 66 days after the birth of a daughter. So her purification was necessary according to the law, and secondly, they're bringing Jesus to the temple to dedicate Him to the Lord. So there's two ceremonies taking place here. Another thing of note that we should make here is this whole idea of the two turtle doves or the pigeons, and and this really speaks to the fact, again, that we know, this is how we know that Mary and Joseph were poor. Poor. Because the, the proper sacrifice, the sacrifice at the highest level, was a you know less than one year old, perfect, spotless lamb. Cost a lot more money than a turtle dove or a pigeon. So it speaks to us of their poverty, and and their state and status in the world. But the real point here is that under the Old Testament law, and this is again how they would have perceived it, a Jewish people, Mary saw herself as a sinner. She needed a Savior, and under the Old Testament law, the idea of doing these things wasn't again, oh, God, you know. No, it was like, I need to make atonement. I agree with God that I have broken His law, that I have done something wrong, and what I am doing by by doing these things faithfully is I'm saying to God, I agree with you, and I'm I'm making a sacrifice uh, that you're asking me to make as a sign that I, I wish to atone for this. It's a good thing. So as we've already mentioned today, as I've already mentioned, we're no longer under the Mosaic law today. And most people today, most, most men, uh, are, are, hallelujah, right? We're under grace, we're not under the law. We hear that a lot. But the question then is this, are there pictures and types from the Old Testament law? Are there traditions that we might keep as faithful members of God's family today in the New Testament? <laughs> it's time to push some buttons. Yeah, there are. There really are. I mean, the, the most obvious ones in the New Testament would be the two sacraments, right? The one sacrament being baptism. <laughs> that, that's a tradition. That's something that we do um, because it's, it's, it's said that we're to do it. Jesus said we should follow Him in the waters of baptism. The apostles said that people should be baptized. The other that we do as a tradition, but also that we keep faithfully, is what we do every week here at the Rock Church, we keep communion. We, we break bread together. Now, here's an interesting point that some of you may not be aware of, but you know what? The, the, and, and this is true of, of pretty much everything that the Bible teaches in the New Testament, pretty much everything, because of the day and age that we live in today. But you can go on Google, you can search it and just go on. Do we need to do baptism and communion today? <laughs> go ahead. You're going to find website after website, blog after blog saying, no, no. No, you don't. (laughs) You are. And that's sad, actually, because it's pretty clear from Scripture that those are things we should do. Those are things we should do. I mean, the argument around communion is like, well, how often? You know, once a week, once a month, once every three months, once a year. And people get, you know, like churches get divided over this. And yet again, (laughs) the purpose of doing it is to say, God, we love you. We honor you. We want to follow you, Jesus, in the things that you do. Here's some more maybe more controversial ones for you, right? How about baby dedication? You know, we dedicate babies at the Rock Church. We don't baptize infants. We we think that the teach the scripture teaches that you should know Christ and that you should know that you've been saved and that you should knowingly go through the waters of baptism. But we do do ba- baby dedication. Now there are people who will say, "Well, that's not in the Bible." <laughs> and we're like, "Uh-huh, that's it's a good point, great point." Doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. What's the purpose of doing it? It's a good tradition. It's a good tradition, and here's the thing: the tradition is not just for you; it's for your kids. It's it's showing your children that there there is there's a way of 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 modeling God's love and His covenant keeping for us with Him. I think here's my just pastor hat on for a second. I think we should look for more ways to do this, not less. Baby dedication is important. It's not required. Now, here's the thing. This is really important. Those things in the Old Testament were actually required, but all of the Jewish people, or at least the the ones who really understood the word, knew this. None of the law-keeping that they were doing could save them. They knew that. They needed a work of God. They needed a Savior. They needed a Messiah for ultimately saving them. Well, the same thing for us. We know that any of these things that we do... To show that we want to be in covenant with each other and with God, they're they're traditions. They're good to show that, but they don't save us. Baptism doesn't save you. Taking communion weekly doesn't save you. Neither does dedication. Here's another one for you. How about membership in the local church? I just want to put that out there. What are we saying when we become a member of a church? We're saying, I covenant, I am making a public statement that I covenant with these people that I am with them as a local body. I'm not against all the other churches in town, but I'm with them specifically to see the mission of God break forth, the kingdom of God break forth in this community. It's a good thing. Is it required? No. Does it save you? No, it doesn't. I could go on. There are a few others, but the benefits of all these New Testament traditions I want to encourage you are that we too are being like Mary and Joseph, we're modeling faithful traditions. And i got to tell you, parents, 10, 20, 30 years from now, you will find that they are important because your kids are going to ask questions. <laughs> Why not? Why? Why not? Why? It's good. It's a good thing. Number two, faithful witness produces certainty. So next, following the story of Mary and Joseph, we have the story of two individuals, Right? That on the surface, come on, listen, listen, on the surface, these stories are just a tad strange. Are they not? Okay, I, I'm going to show you, because I, maybe I have a twisted sense of humor, which most of you know. I do. So first, there's Simeon, right, this older man, um, but did you notice what was strange about him? Did you notice at all what was strange about him? Let me put it on ver- verse 26 on screen for you one more time. Um, <clears throat> and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he, look at this, would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, we're not told when he was told this, but it would appear from the text that he was told it many, many, many years ago, and he keeps going to the temple every day, going to worship and serve God in the temple with this knowledge in his mind that he is not going to die until he sees the Messiah. Come on, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Now, you've got to believe that if he knew that, and Luke is recording it, that others in the temple, others, his brothers, his sisters, his wife, his family members, they probably all had heard that he had heard this. (laughs) That's strange, isn't it? I mean, it's a little bit like the guy, because I used to see him down on the east east side of Vancouver when I was working at Union Gospel Mission, walking around, he had a bit of a tick, and he'd be walking around downtown Vancouver going, the end is nigh! The end is nigh! Repent! Okay. that's strange. I would suggest to you this this fella had to be seen that way. I mean, he's basically saying this, yeah, I know it's 400 years since the prophet Malachi said that the Messiah was coming and nothing has happened in 400 years, but I'm not going to die until he arrives. Go ahead, try and kill me. It won't work. It's strange. Luke records it. That's awesome. Then one day, look at this. He's praying in the temple, and a poor Jewish couple arrive to dedicate their baby faithfully, and he takes this baby in his arms. And then he says, Lord, now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word from eye, eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Can you imagine this guy's joy? Can you imagine it? All these years, probably people thinking he's a nut job, and he's standing there and he's holding Jesus in his arms. And, and even as a eight-day-old eight baby, he's, he's acknowledging who he is. What's even more amazing is this. I think this is amazing. At this point, he's going, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Now, I, I think I would approach that a little bit differently. I don't know about you, but I'd be like... Can we pause this for a minute? <laughs> I'd like to stick around and see how this baby is going to accomplish that, because I think that's cool, but I'd like to be around to see it to its fruition. That's not the way he responds. He's ready to go. He's ready. He's, you've been waiting for this day. If it was you and I, I don't know. I think we'd want to be around. So seen rightly, look, I think this could be a most comforting scene for all of you, for all of us. I think it could be. If not today one day. This could be a very comforting scene for you. I mean, first look at it this way. Note he says that he, a servant, is ready to go, to depart because he's now, what? He's at peace. (laughs) He's at peace. We've already seen in our series so far that this peace is not the peace of the world, you know, where we're all just able to live and everything's good and we all get along and we can all just go out and have a great time and, and, and just experience that peace in, in our hearts and just enjoy life and not have any fear in this life. No. The, the biblical peace that is being spoken of here is a peace knowing that we have been made right with God. That no matter what happens, we're right with Him. That's the ultimate Peace. Which means, if we're right with him, the peace would be, we're ready to go. We're ready to go. Well, there's another question here, I think. What did Simeon actually see? I mean, the text tells us that what he actually saw is a baby in his arms. In other words, he saw a person. (laughs) It's so simple, it's so subtle That's there, but he saw a person. And it's the gospel in a nutshell in this man's story. We don't save ourselves. There's nothing that you can do or I can do to make ourselves accepted and approved before God to save ourselves. It's all in a person, and that person's name is the Lord Jesus Christ who provides this man, and you and I our salvation. You either have him or you don't. You either trust him or you don't, and that will determine how much peace you have. Do you have Him today? Do you? If you do, then you have peace. But let me ask that question. Do you have that peace? (laughs) Really? Let me ask that again. Do you have the peace of God in your heart that if and when you face your death, And friends, you can think about all the tragedies that happened over Christmas because they highlight them over the Christmas time because they're sad at any time of the year. But when people die on a highway in a car accident or visit, you know, on a plane crash in a river in Australia, when it's a Christmas vacation, it just seems to be highlighted, right? But at any point in time this afternoon on the highway on the way home, or in the near future, but it will be on that day that is appointed for you and for me. Do you have peace about that? A lot of us talk brave, right? A lot of us talk really, really brave, right? I do. Like, I do have that peace. But I don't know about you, But and I love to fly. I love to fly. I wanted to become a private pilot at one point in time, so I actually got up in Cessnas and did a few hours and got going a little bit. But, but I, I'll be honest with you. you know, but on flights where you know there has been a, a drop of like 10,000 feet and the plane is shaking all over the place and I'm white-knuckling it and not having a lot of peace. <laughs> <laughs> and then, thankfully, the reality is, the truth is, the peace does show up. Because if that is the moment, If that is the moment that God has for me, then I'm ready. I have that peace. I have that peace. I sure hope you do. And I want you to think about that today and this week. Next, we encounter, very briefly, another strange story. We meet Anna, who is a prophetess, the Scripture tells us. The Greek word is prophetes, which literally means spokesperson, meaning someone who speaks for God on any given occasion, and that can be a man or a woman who can do that. If we do the math, we see in the story, I mean, it tells us that she's 84 years old, but if we do the math, most Jewish girls being married around 14, 15 years of age, uh, seven years after she's married, her husband dies, so she's a widow for a very long time, 75, 76 years, and every day she's going to the temple. (laughs) Every day she's going to the temple, and it's pretty simple. She's in the temple every day, and we read, she's very dedicated She's there when Jesus is brought into the temple to be dedicated, and then she prophesies about Him in verse 38 when it says, and coming up at that hour, and coming up at that very hour, that very hour that Jesus is there being dedicated, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to, of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So she's seen what Simeon has been doing, she knows Simeon, she knows he's this guy who said, I'm not going to die until the Messiah arrives, so she knows this is it, and she prophesies as well. So why, again, is Luke recording these stories? Well, again, let's remember why Luke is writing the book. I've already kind of highlighted it to you in the introduction. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, he says to his good friend Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so we've already read in our text how these events must have given Mary and Joseph much-needed certainty, if not on the day, certainly in the future. I'll reread the verses. In verses 33 to 35, it says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. Also, Mary, when you sit at the foot of the cross and you watch him being crucified. Now, it doesn't say that there, but that's what's being told to her. And on that day when she is there, she's going to know this was prophesied. That gives her certainty. Certainty that this is supposed to happen so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. So there's certainty for Mary and Joseph, but there's more. There's more. Luke was a Greek scholar. He was a skeptic who, like all well-educated Greeks, relied on the rules of human law. The law was just starting to be... Greco-Roman law was just starting to become really developed and eyewitnesses and testimony and the courts were being established, and it was important. There had to be witnesses to confirm or deny any and all claims that were... if they were ever going to get to what was deemed to be the truth. Well, the truth is, the same is true in God's courts. The same is absolutely true in God's courts. If you read Deuteronomy 19 you're going to see that God is going to say that He declares that all claims must be backed by a minimum of two to three witnesses. That's what Luke has been doing throughout this whole gospel. He's been showing us witness after witness after witness after eyewitness to who Jesus is as a Greek skeptic to his good friend, Theophilus. And here we have a few more today. We have a few more of them. All, all the other Gospels do the same. The wise men in Matthew are, are just one example, right? These guys are, you know, checking out the stars. They're, they're waiting for the Messiah. They're actually from the days of Daniel, the prophecies of Daniel, waiting for the Messiah, and they see a star. And it, it's all to prove to us and give us certainty through the testimony of eyewitnesses. That's Luke's goal, That's Luke's goal. And and it's the goal of one more person. And this is point number three, the faithful one who is with you. And so as I began today, I encouraged you uh, to ask questions of the text in order to learn and grow in your understanding and your faith. The main question I, I suggest we ask is why did Luke record these events? Why this guy? Why this skeptic? Why this Gentile why this person is trying to give certainty to his friend. Why would he do this? Well, let me show you at this point why. Luke is not just the only New Testament author to record these stories. He's also the only writer to record in the days of the New Testament. Come on, he's the only one to record the most dramatic event after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In his other book, The Acts of the Apostles, really the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and that is the day of Pentecost. (laughs) Jesus, before he ascends, he says to his disciples, okay, guys, you know the mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. You know that, right? And I'm also going to tell you where. In Jerusalem, first of all, then Samaria, and then Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. But guess what? You're not going to be able to do that unless you receive power, the same power that I had. All my life as a human and as God. And so in the book of Acts, we read about the, the Holy Spirit coming in power on the day of Pentecost, just as He was prophesied, just as Jesus said He would send him, send him. And He comes upon the apostles who are, you know, wandering around still a little bit like, Jesus, what are You doing? Why are You leaving us? Like, and He comes upon them in power, and with a big show of His power, wind throughout the room, blowing everything apart, uh, uh, tongues of fl- flames of fire coming down on each one of their heads of Scripture teaches us. And then in verse 4 of chapter 2 of Acts, it says this, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is unique to Luke. And I think part of the point is this. Luke came to faith as a pagan Gentile skeptic in Jesus without seeing Him, like the apostles had. Now, he follows Paul around while Paul is planting churches, and Paul is also operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and doing miracles just like Jesus, raising people from the dead, healing people, speaking in tongues, other languages that are not known to Paul, and people know that he didn't know those languages, but he's doing it, and Luke is seeing this. It's remarkable. And it's what leads him to believe. He never met Jesus personally, face to face, but it's clear he had met the Holy Spirit of God. That's very clear. And so Luke wants his good friend Theophilus to have certainty, And he knows that that certainty will only come by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I I can't make you a Christian. I can preach my heart out. (laughs) I I can do everything in my power. I don't have it. The Holy Spirit is the one who has the power in this room today. We all do our best to proclaim Jesus and live him out. But it's the Holy Spirit who will touch your heart, who will convict you, and will draw you to him. And that's what Luke wants. And you know what? Here's the key. I want to show you this as we go to closing. He's been doing it throughout the whole first two chapters. It's behind the whole thing. I love the fact that we're singing that song this morning, Hidden. Like, why did you guys choose that song? Well, I'll tell you. But, but also, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. You know, we make much of lots of things in the church today, but we sometimes miss the Holy Spirit. Amen? We sometimes do. But Luke has been showing Him to us all the time. Luke chapter 1, verse 15, look what it says. For He with great Uh, will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine, the speaking of John the Baptist, or strong drink, and he will be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. (laughs) Right? And then verse 35, and the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit, to Mary, how is this going to happen? How am I going to get pregnant? I'm not, I've slept with Joseph, and I'm not planning to until we get married. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary runs off to see her aunt because the angel has told her. Her aunt, who's very old, is also pregnant now. who has been barren all her life. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I think he's making a point here. Verse 67, And his father Zachariah, the guy who was dumb enough, sorry, to to not believe the angel and therefore was struck dumb and couldn't speak until John was actually born. And Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and then to our stories today, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. in verse 27, and He came in the Spirit into the temple. Do you get the point? Are we, are we there? Yes, we are. Uh, but we run by these stories, don't we? We read them in our devotionals and, and in the text, and we're like, yeah, can, can we get on to the good stuff? Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so, here's what we're going to see as we continue in the gospel of Luke. It's awesome. We're going to continue in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to find this one thing to become very clear. Jesus was fully man and fully God. In His humanity, He was exactly like you and I, exactly like you and I. He's born into a broken and sinful world. He would be tempted beyond any temptation that you and I will ever have to endure, and yet He didn't sin. He would be hated, beaten, whipped, and eventually crucified, and yet, throughout his whole life, as I said, A, he never sinned, and B, he lived faithfully serving his heavenly Father. How did he do that in his humanity? Did he set aside, you know, his humanity and, and, and tap into his godliness and say, you know, okay, I can overrule this now, and I can, I can be fully God here? and No. What Luke's going to show us throughout his whole... And as you read further, as we go further, you're going to read verses where it says, Jesus being filled with, Jesus in the power of, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, fill in the blank. Goes and feeds 5,000. Goes and heals the sick. Goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. In the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It's incredible. So Luke has, and he knew that Jesus did, and that he relied on him through his whole earthly life on the Holy Spirit. Jesus relied on him, not on his own power, which he could summon at any time, but on the Holy Spirit, his friend and his comforter as well. And so our story passage actually ends with these words, and when they had performed everything, I love that, according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And look at this, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Next week, the next time that we meet Jesus, he's 12 years old. He's 12 years old. So our story ends with the family heading home after a very rough journey and faithfully fulfilling all that was required of them and then probably more. Now Mary and Joseph, as his parents, would continue to do the work that was given to them by God. And that work is to train him up. To train him up. The Holy Spirit was upon him, but their, their job was to train him up. And look, they did. It says in that last part, he grew. He grew physically, spiritually. The word strong there in the Greek literally expands it, strong in spirit, spiritually, and mentally. Friends, let me close with this today. We're all part of this, Christian. <laughs> Not just with our kids, with our children. We are with our children. We're part of training them up, spiritually, spiritually bringing the Word of God to them spiritually. But friends, we're to do that with each other. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything that I have commanded to you and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. What he's saying is is that when a, a person in this room, anyone that we come in contact in our community groups, whatever, comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they're a baby Christian and they need food they need the Word of God, and they need brothers and sisters in Christ to disciple them and train them up and to keep faithful traditions like coming to church, (laughs) like coming to missional community group, like being baptized, like taking communion appropriately as we're going to do now. That's the story. That's the story that's given to us. Friends, we need the Holy Spirit. I want you to pray this week as you go through your… and and look for, as you go through your journals this week, look for Him. Here's one other thing. Lastly, I got to say this. The Holy Spirit never makes a fuss about Himself. He did three or four times in the book of Acts, and they were always about breaking new ground with new people groups, bringing new people groups, whether they were Jews, Sumerians, or Gentiles, into the family of God. And then He seems to back away, and like we saw in our text for the first two chapters, He seems to be in the background. Why? Because His purpose is to point us to Jesus Christ. And that's our purpose here at the church and that should be your purpose with each other. Pray with me, would you?